If you would turn in your Bibles, I want to look at three different verses this morning. Three different verses. I want to look at a comparison of two women. And then I want to look at something in Luke chapter 12. So let's start in John chapter 4. Two Sundays ago, we spoke about the security that we have in Christ's love. And John 13, I'll do a quick review. John 13, Jesus here, verses 1 and 2, is going to his disciples, and it says that he knew his time was coming to an end. And it, Jesus, Jesus knew where he was from. Jesus, if, if we have, by the way, we have kids' church, right? Sorry, yes, kids' church. Yeah. I was going to say all the kids. Yeah, all the kids can go if you want to. <laughs> if you want to, kids, I forgot to mention that. Thanks. Really going to teach the older ones. Good, perfect, perfect, perfect. So if you've got a kid you want to send there, you can do that. Um, in John chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, Jesus here is saying, um, he's saying to his disciples, he knew that his time had come where he was going to depart from this world and go to the Father. And it says there, it says that Jesus knew where he had come from. He knew where he was going. And in the present tense, Jesus loved his disciples to the end. And when Jesus Christ loves us, and we begin to perceive that service of Christ towards us, that ministry of Christ towards us, we begin to be, we begin to be secure, knowing that where we're coming from, where we're going, and so we can live in the moment in vulnerability like Jesus did. He takes off his towel, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And I think that when there can be no vulnerability, there can be no authenticity or transparency, there can be no body life, there can be no true authentic fellowship unless we know where we're from yeah. and where we're going and that Jesus Christ loves us this present moment. You know, and I don't know what's happened yesterday or weeks past in your life or, or what we're worried about in the future, but one thing is sure that we are in Christ, that we are raised up together with him in Romans chapter 6, that we are without spot and without blemish, we are the apple of God's eye, we are in Christ. We're not in trouble. We're not in a country that's out of control, though sometimes it feels like that. Um, you're, we are not in a health situation where our health is falling apart and we're, like, we're feeling like we're going to crash. But we're in a place where God is sovereign and we can rest in his sovereignty. I want to say something about sovereignty is that um, uh, we've done extensive mission work in Muslim countries. As, as you know, we were in, in Iraq in, in March. We're going to go back again in March. This coming March to the northern parts of Iraq, which is uh, a Kurdish area, which is very open to the gospel. And when we talk to Muslims, a lot of times when they when they when we talk about sovereignty, you know, sovereignty means that God's going to do what he's going to do without counseling or without getting input from people that God is in Romans chapter nine. He is sovereign. The difference between sovereignty for the believer in the theology of sovereignty is different than Islamic because Islamic is fatalism. And Islam says fatalism is God's going to do what he's going to do uh, regardless of grace or, or his goodness. And sovereignty is not that. Sovereignty is the plan of God that is based in his goodness. Okay? Think of that for a minute. God's plan is not fatalistic for you. It's, it's not going to be que sera, sera, right? I mean, I don't know some of you in that may remember that song back in the day where what, what will be will be. That's fatalism. And fatalism is, a, is an idealism that, um, 
that purports that you cannot know God, that you cannot know his nature, that you cannot know his goodness, and you cannot know what's going to happen in the future. Okay? Sovereignty is that God has a plan. In Jeremiah 29, verse 11, his thoughts about his plan are to establish you and I in his goodness. And whatever God allows in our life is allowed because there is an agenda for God to reveal his grace and his goodness to you and I. Okay? It is not to crush us. It's not to destroy us. God has to humble us because sometimes we get into this proud attitude that I think I know what's best for me. And guess what? What we think is best for us is always so much less than what God has for you and I. That's why God has to break those concepts. God has to break our world sometimes. And he has to point us to the better thing that he has for us. And so the security of Christ, when we get to know, the, the, when we get to know Jesus Christ and when we get to know his love towards us, security <coughs> comes into our life. We begin to be more secure in his love. And things less and less have this impact on us to shake us. Remember when Paul said, and I was thinking about this this week, uh, none of these things move me. Remember when Paul said that? None of these things move me. And that word move doesn't mean to be shaken. It doesn't mean to be, because we're shaken sometimes. When Sometimes we are actually knocked off balance. But movement there, Paul is talking about a major move in my life where I'm making a shift and I'm no longer here, but I'm here and I'm in a different place in my life. And I'm no longer going in that direction. Paul said, you know something? God is in control. And we can rest in that peace and know that. And that brings, because the plan of God, the sovereign plan of God is based on his goodness and his kindness towards us. And that he will lead us to a place that has an expected end. Expected end. We can, we can have hope because there's an expected end. And I wanted just to comfort us with that. Because we're hearing a lot of bad news on the TV. We're hearing a lot of bad news on, in, in every realm of our life. And so I want to just talk for a few minutes about our significance in the love of Christ. Our significance in the love of Christ. Two weeks ago, we talked about our security. Today, I want to talk about our significance in Christ. And next Sunday, I want to talk about our strength, the strength that we have in Jesus Christ. We have strength to face today. I love this topic. I can't wait to talk about it. Our significance in Jesus Christ. And so I want to review something with you really quick. One of the principal needs in every person is the need for significance. I need, to, I need to feel that I have meaning, that I have meaning in my circles, that I'm important, that I'm not overlooked, I'm not neglected, and that, that equals significance. Significant means that if I am significant, then everything I do in my life is meaningful, has significance, and it's not a waste of time. Because if there's no significance in this life, if there's no significance in my value as a person, as a husband, or as a man, or as a woman, or a wife, or a single person, if my significance is not, if I don't have significance, then my body's not significant, and I'm going to live in a crazy life of just random experiences because I have no value for my physical body. And that's what happens today is that we live in a society that does not understand the value of our soul and understand the value of our body. And so we wind up doing crazy things. We make bad decisions because we don't see the value of our soul. We don't see the value of our body. We're just out there living crazy because we're looking for some kind of sense of significance. And we live in that and we're looking for that through just stimulation, um, chemical, physiological stimulation, emotional and mental stimulation. So God wants us to understand our significance. Um, Christ's love produces a significance, our self-worth and our identity. 
without the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, we seek for significance in what we do in our relationships and the things that we possess. And when we lose the relationships, when we lose the possessions, and we actually even lose um, the things that we can do, then we have a crisis of significance. The third thing I want to review here with you is integrity. I heard this the other day, and I really like this definition. Integrity is living out our identity in Christ. If we live out our identity in Christ, we're going to understand our significance that we want to talk about here in a minute, and we're going to walk in integrity. And then, and then number four, simply stated, where there's an identity crisis, there is a serving crisis. So I want to look at two women here with you this morning. Let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. John chapter 4, <coughs> verse 13. And this is, the first, this is the first woman I want to look at with you today. John chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 13. We're going to just flip through the Bible a little bit. We're going to read our Bibles this morning. John chapter 4, verse 13. It says this. Jesus answered and said to her, He's talking to the woman at the well. There's a woman that would every day go to the well multiple times, fill up her pot with water, go back to her life, her domestic life. And she's a picture here of a woman that doesn't know her significance. Jesus says to her, in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water, and he's pointing at the well, will thirst again. In verse 14, but whoever... Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will come in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. I think she was from Texas because she said, Sir. <laughs> I'm not from Texas. And so we moved here not, you know, kind of recently. And I'm from the Northeast where nobody says, Sir. Nobody says, Ma'am. Nobody says any of that. And we only said, sir, if you were in the military or if you were a very old person. So I like it. I love, the, I love the, the, the culture here in Texas. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or come all the way here to draw. Jesus here talks to her and he addresses, addresses three things about her identity, her security, and her purpose. Number one, her identity. She's called the woman of Samaria. She was just somebody from Samaria. Samaria historically was not a great place. It was the wrong side of the train tracks. It was a, it was a region that historically in the Old Testament, if you read, uh, was, um, it was just a very bad geographical location where there was a lot of just pagan worship. And at that time, during the, during the life of Christ, uh, Samaria was a place where Jews did live, but they were mixed. They were, there was a mixed ethnic. They were ethnically mixed with not pure Jews, and so there was a sense of racism and condescension and kind of like uh, Jews, Orthodox Jews would not actually walk through Samaria. They would actually walk all the way around to get to other parts of Israel. And so Samaria was a place of just people looked down at, and there was a frame of reference that it was just a dirty place. And her identity was a woman of Samaria. She had five husbands, and the sixth one that she had was a boyfriend. And Jesus said that. Jesus said, you have no husband, and the one that you are living with is not your husband. And what happened? God, Jesus gave her a new identity. He said to her, 
I am the gift of God. I am he that speaks to you. And he said to her, you know, in your identity that was just created because of bad decisions where we were chasing a guiding fiction that was just a fantasy that wasn't true, it created in her soul a self-image that was a lie that was not true. I'm going to say something about that for a minute. That we talked about this in our biblical psychology class last night is that a guiding fiction is when I have some idealistic reality, uh, idea, idealistic fantasy that I want to be something because of what my culture, because of what my family, or because of my own um, concepts of what I think I should be to be accepted. And to the measure that I, to the measure that I cannot reach that goal, or to the measure that I fail that goal, is what we call a frustration index. And it's a level of frustration in my life. To the measure that I can't reach this goal of, of like, okay, here's the American mindset, achievement, um, hard work. Um, you know, you can put anything in there in that, in that blank there. All this hard work. And to the measure that I'm not up there or I'm not up to what my parents think I should be or what I think I should be for myself, to the measure that we're not meeting there is this measure is what we call the, the frustration index. It's the level of frustration and stress in my life. Jesus Christ comes to her and says, I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm just asking, I am the gift of God. I'm coming to you and I'm giving you something and you'll never thirst again. The world baits us, right? Because it, it, it baits us with this, hey, this experience, this joy, this excitement, and this stimulation, and then it's gone. And then next time we need to do it again, and next time we need to do it again. And the world is stealing from us our soul and our identity, and it's trying to get us to believe something that is not true about ourselves. That is called a false identity. When you and I begin to make decisions based on something that's not the way God sees you in his love, what happens is, is that we begin to build an identity that's just a total lie, that we can't even maintain it, you know? It's something that we can't, when nobody's looking, we're just like, we just fall apart, we just become like this, you know, we're just totally, we just, we cannot keep up. And this is what Hollywood is dealing with. Her identity, the woman of Samaria. By the way, I can have a religious identity that has nothing to do with who I am in Christ. We, you know, we live in the South, this part of the United States where, where there's a lot of church goers. And I think in some churches there is this unspoken expectation that you've got to clean up your life. You've got to be at this kind of level. You've got to have this kind of vocabulary in your life. And if you don't, then you're not accepted. You are, you are pushed away. And you know something? Jesus Christ never, ever asked this woman to be anything but just to receive from him who he was. And so he replaces her identity with the gift of God. When we look at Christ and we begin to discover who he is, God heals our identity, our self-image issues, our self-esteem issues. Here's another example, Matthew chapter 16, and I love this. Jesus is talking to his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? And his disciples say, well, some, some think that you're like Jeremiah. Some think that you're like, you know, Elijah, you know. And, and, and then he says, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter, we know, says, thou art the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus says, bravo, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven, has revealed this even unto you. When we get to understand who Jesus Christ is, we begin to understand who we are. Jesus turns around in the same sentence and says to Peter, and you, Peter, are, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. 
if we have identity issues, the, 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 the answer is not that we try to make ourselves feel better, buy a better wardrobe, find another wife or a husband, get a different job, move to another state. That doesn't work because the identity comes with us. What heals us and what gets us to a place where we're healed in our identity and our self-image problems is we look at Jesus Christ and then he begins to speak to us about who we are. And this is the job of the church. This is the job, and I, and you know, this is the job of the church. I've I've been in this, I've been pastoring since I was 27. I've been serving since I was 22, and now I'm 55. Um, And it's so easy to forget this, to, to drift away from the mission of the church. And the mission of the church is for us to communicate to you who you are in Christ. Because if we can communicate and if we can understand who we are in Christ, then we're going to know what to do. Mm. What is happening today is, and I don't, I'm not trying to criticize, I mean, because I've done it myself. Sometimes we drift from the message, and I say this a lot here in our church, is that sometimes we start talking about what people need to do and their behavior and their externals, and we never address the internal issue. Because we can change the externals, we can change the, the vocabulary, we can change whatever it is, but the heart just remains broken and unhealed in our identity continues to suffer when we get a revelation of who jesus christ is and his mission and that he's washing our feet then in first corinthians chapter 13 when you pray to him in verse 7 that love believes all things when god when you pray to god he is listening to us in love like can you imagine that billy graham said it this way he said i think when we get to heaven one of the things that we're going to be so surprised about is the goodness of god how good God really is and how much we do, how much we don't do, we doubted God's goodness. Wow. And then he said, the second thing is, is that we're just going to be like, why didn't I trust God for more? You know, why didn't I just trust God for more? I want to look at my future and I want to say, God has a plan. God has a plan. Number two, her security. She says, I have no husband, right? The woman at the well says to Jesus, I have no husband. And Jesus says, that's right. You, you don't have a husband. And the man that you are with now is not your husband. Is he condemning her? Is he judging her? No. He is stating to her, there's a deeper issue here. You know what sin is? Sin is harmatia. We know that missing the mark, Romans chapter 14, anytime that we are functioning outside of faith and trusting God, I'm already starting to err into wrong thinking. But you know what sin is? Sin is, at any time, sin is just a symptom of a deeper problem that is unaddressed. And, And sin is just a sign like pain. Pain is a sign that there's something that is wrong inside. Sin is something that's just saying, look, there's something that is off track inside. And Jesus here is not dealing with her there at that point. He's dealing with her at a deeper need. He is saying, he's saying to her, he begins to talk to her. He begins to speak to her, speak to her needs and speak to her where she's at. And you can read the whole conversation here in John chapter four. And then what happens? Her security, I have no husband, turns into she runs back into the town and she tells the entire city, come and see a man who has told me everything I've ever done. That's amazing, huh? That's her security. She can go out. She's no longer ashamed and full of shame because of her. Of her. And, and it's funny because she comes out, she's by herself. And she does not come out with all the other women of the city because she's ashamed. She's known. She's known to be a woman that's got, you know, a, a, a homebreaker or, or an un, a, un, a woman that just has, is unsuccessful in relationships and she comes out and she has this new boldness. 
And she runs and she leaves her sister and she leaves her pot there at the well. And she says, come and see the man that has told me everything. Because our security, you know, we look for security. We look for that sense of filling. And she had that pot and she went to that well every day. And this is what happening. To, this is what's happening today. Every day people go to either the bar or they're going to the internet or they're going to their job or they're going to this experience and they're looking for some sense of significance and filling. But you know something, when we understand who Jesus Christ is and we begin to have a revelation of who he is, then we, do, we begin to be set free from that cistern, that pot that's broken in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, that is broken, that cannot hold any water. And then number three, Jesus gives her meaningful purpose. Instead of the repetitive, repetitive filling of the broken cistern, she leaves the pot and she brings the city to Christ. You know, when we begin to understand how much we are loved, that love begins to restore in us a sense of, uh, of significance. I remember when we lived in Ukraine and we were doing work, the mission work there, we were doing church planning. And I remember, um, and I've never worked with drug addiction. I've never worked with any kind of that. That's just not part of my background. I just remember God bringing all these people, all these guys into our church that just had criminal records that were, you know, just people that I normally would not, I mean, I don't have that background. I just normally would not be, you know, and God brought them in and I just said, God, I don't know how to like deal with these guys. What do I say to these people, you know? And God had to deal with my own heart about judging. And then God just said, just preach the finished work, preach Christ and Christ will heal them. And I remember, I remember like my wife and I had just got married and we had moved to, I, had, I was there a year before we got married we, she moved to Ukraine with me and like our first week there all these guys show up at our house just for some fellowship and there's like 10 guys sitting on the floor around our coffee table fellowshipping about Christ eating spoonfuls of sugar from our sugar bowl because they had just come off of, they had just come off of drugs and they were their body was their, their blood was, was craving the stimulation and I just remember sitting down and listening to them and and they had told us their stories, how they had left the pot and they, had, and they followed Christ because there's a new purpose in Christ. Because the love of God in Romans chapter 5 shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sheds abroad the love of Christ in our hearts. And I, want, I just want to tell you guys that in the morning, you know, let the love of God be shed abroad in your heart. Let God love you in the morning. Let God speak to you. Let God encourage you. And every time, you know what, nine times out of ten, we're going to wake up. In the first five seconds of, of us being awake, the devil's just going to jump on us. He's going to be like, he's going to accuse you, and he's going to, he's going to tear you down. Or you're going to accuse yourself, and you're going to say, I'm not enough. And this is what we men do. We men do this. We're like always, you know, because we're initiators, and it's just never enough because we're living in some kind of standard and ideal that is not Christ. Let the love of Christ be shed abroad in your heart. Let it be poured into your heart, as it says in the New American Standard, let it be poured out by the Holy Spirit given to us. And so significance, this woman at the well found significance and she was set free from her addiction to having to come by herself every day in shame to that well. And that's a beautiful thing, significance. Secondly, I want to look at Luke 10 and I want to wrap it up with this, Luke chapter 10. And let's look at verse 38. Here's another woman who doesn't understand her significance Yet it, in another way, affects her. It affects her in a different way. Um, 
In John, in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman was alone. She was lonely. And the lack of understanding of her significance brought her to a place of loneliness and a place of being alone and shame. But here in Luke chapter 10, here's another kind of, another kind of um, issue that Martha is struggling with because she doesn't understand her significant value. Let's look at Luke chapter 10, and I want to look at verse 38 together with you. Now, as they were traveling along, Jesus enters into a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed her into, their, into her home, welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Mar- Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me, right? She is Martha demanding. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary for what, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. This is another, you know, when we don't understand our significance, we start to live in just levels of anxiety. And anxiety is just, I think our, I think our, culture isn't our culture just plagued with anxiety just like anxiety and just panic attacks and and it's like you know it's the tempo that we live I think it's the technology I think it's also the food we eat I think it's just and then trying to live at these and I think in Texas it's a really big thing I I I mean even in our I, I would say it's an American thing where 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 there's just such a high level of achievement that if I don't achieve this level and we see it in the woodlands. We see it with teenagers in the woodlands where with one of the highest teenage suicide, right, suicide rates in the United States is in this area because there's so much affluence and there's just so much achievement here with oil and gas and profession and, and that's all awesome. But there's also so much Christianity here and somehow there are kids that are ending their lives at the age of 17 and many, many, many times it is because they are not meeting up to what they think that they need to be meeting up to. And, and, they are, and they are living in this frustration index and anxiety begins to set in. And anxiety stems from not knowing our significant value. And Martha didn't understand her value. Martha derived all of her significance from all the work that she did. My mother-in-law, she's Polish, she's passed away um, you know, in Poland, and my wife's Poland. I met her when, I was, when we were doing mission work there. And uh, in Poland, it's an amazing culture. It's just very hospitable. Cooking is amazing. And my mother-in-law just loved everybody through her food. <laughs> you know, some people just love you with words and gifts, and, and other people love you with time spent. I mean, I don't know what this was, but she just loved everybody through food, you know. You'd go to their house, and, and you'd just like, eat, like, unbelievably amount, amazing amount of food. And I think that sometimes, like, she would just derive her identity from how good her food was. And then she would sit down with us, amazing woman, incredible woman. She sat down with us, she would, right as we're finishing the dinner, and she goes, you know, there wasn't enough salt in there. There, It was too cold. And she would just begin to criticize her food. And I think that when we we derive our significance from what we do, the Lord is gonna put his finger on that and to tell us, look, your significance is, is in me. And so Martha here struggled with anxiety and and she's running about, she's worried, and she's just anxious. And, and there's six things I just want to quickly, and you know, they all begin with D. Six Ds that anxiety produces in our life. And we can see it right here in Martha. She had a divided mind from God's mind. Her mind was just divided from what was God thinking. Jesus here is ministering to the house and speaking to people in the house. And she is, 
she's divided from God's mind and, and disrupted emotions is number two. She, she loses her peace. She's not, she's not functioning in the emotional peace that he can give because she doesn't understand her significance. Number three, her will was divided from the will of God. Number four, she was driven. I think when we live in anxiety, we're driven. We're just driven and, and we just blow up. And, and I think that we can always, whenever we lose our joy, by the way, whenever we lose our love, our joy, and our peace, these three things, the first fruits of the Spirit, we can know that at some point we just stopped depending on God and just saying, Lord, I need you every hour. And whenever we start losing our peace, then we become driven. You know, as a pastor, I'll just be honest with you, there, there can be times when you can feel driven about stuff. Like, it's got to be this way. It's got to be that way. But you know something? Really, we live for Christ. And I think that there's no other goal in our lives but that people that we would minister to people, wash their feet, and not live in an ideal that's not even a biblical ideal. Uh, number five, demanding. Martha demanded of Jesus. Like, he was, she was just demanding. Like, and, and familiarity. Familiarity comes in where we no longer see the preciousness of Jesus ministering to people. We start demanding things because we are anxious. And then lastly, number six, Martha was just so distracted from the work of God. She totally missed what Jesus was in her house. And this was the opportunity to receive from her. And this was a, and I think that in our culture, we can get so distracted by, by things that are good, but that are not the perfect will of God. Lastly, Luke, Luke chapter 12, and I want to look at verse 22. And, and Jesus here is talking to his disciples a couple chapters after this discussion in Luke chapter 10 with Martha. Luke chapter 12, verse 22, it says this. And he said to his disciples, for this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life. That word life there in the Greek is the word that is used for soul. It's not your physical body, but it's your soul. Don't worry about your, your soul. Don't worry about loneliness. Don't worry about separation. Don't worry about um, all these things that we can be worried about secretly in our soul. Don't worry about your life as to what you will eat or your body as to what you will put on. For your life, your soul, your soul is worth more than food and body more than clothing. And I want to close with this. Verse 24, consider the ravens. Consider the ravens. Um, how do we deal with anxiety? How do we deal with a sense of lack of, of significance? How do we deal with being a people pleaser, being a person that doesn't know how to say no because we need to please everybody? Consider the ravens. The ravens were birds that were known to not feed their young. They were known to neglect. They were just known to eat trash. They just were very dirty birds. And yet, consider the ravens here. Jesus says, for they neither sow nor reap, they have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? Think of that, consider. This word consider is katanoia, and it means this. It means that I am, I am doubling down on a thought in my mind. I'm camping out on this thought that I am worth more than birds. It's funny, because sometimes we look at animals, we look at things, and we, and we don't understand our value is so much more than that. The love of Christ restores in us the value that we have in Christ. The love of God restores in you and I this sense of worth and significance and value. And you know something? When we begin to discover how valuable we are, we begin to discover when, it, when, when a daughter grows up in a family and understands her dad loves her 
and is pouring into her healthy communication. When a boy grows up in a family and understands that he's not ever going to be rejected and that he's loved, then, then, then the child can grow up in an environment of significance and love and they're not going into the world to pull that out of the world. You know something, when we grow up in Jesus Christ, the world just loses its, it loses its, its, its glitter. <laughs> we discover it's a scam. The whole system is a scam. The whole world system is a scam. And when we learn about that, when we learn it by experience, we're like, what a scam. And we begin to follow after Christ because there's new significance. I heard a message this week that when we discover how beautiful Christ is, and how, and, and, and get, get, you know, in our American society, we can be so busy with good stuff that just pulls us away from, from Christ. Don't neglect your private time in the Lord. Don't neglect your time in the Word. Get alone with God. Get alone with your Bible. Get on your knees and open your Bible and, and let it talk to you. Let it speak to you. Let God love you through His Word. Read the Gospels and how Jesus speaks to his disciples and how he speaks to the Pharisees. Jesus does not talk to his disciples like he talks to the Pharisees, talking to his disciples in a different way. Jesus loves us. And this is why, this is why in the book of Acts, people wanted to meet every day because this was the Gospel. This was Jesus Christ. This was a man that was changing people's lives. And I think that we derive our significance when we, could be, when we begin to understand the reality of who Christ is and that he is for us. Amen. Amen. Just close in prayer for a moment.